So I'm not prepared to say what percentage of your program should be by any type of composer. That's one of today's guests, Dr. William Talley, talking about diversity in programming. But if it sounds like he's letting you off the hook, that's not exactly the case. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. I'm leadership trainer and former band director Alan Fire, here with composer and co-college music education program coordinator Steve Shanley. Each episode, Alan and I talk with national thought leaders in music education with practical insights for K-12 music educators. Steve, tell us about William Talley and Chandler Wilson. William Talley is the director of bands at Ohio University, where he directs the Wind Symphony and teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in conducting and wind literature. Dr. Talley received his Doctor of Musical Arts degree from the Eastman School of Music, where he served as the associate director of the Eastman Wind Orchestra and the assistant director of the Eastman Wind Ensemble. Chandler Wilson is the assistant director of athletic bands and assistant professor of music education at Florida State University. Dr. Wilson's compositions have been performed worldwide, including at the Music for All National Festival and the Midwest International Band and Orchestra Clinic. Find full bios, show notes, and resources at musicedinsights.com. What was a high point for you in this interview, Alan? This was one of the most direct conversations about minstrelsy that I've been a part of. It was really helpful to those K-12 teachers who may have inherited some problematic curricula. What about you, Steve? Yeah, we've had many discussions about diversity and programming on our podcast, but the opportunity to have both a respected conductor and a respected composer share their thoughts in the same conversation added a very cool dynamic. Yeah, speaking of cool dynamics, this is the first of two podcasts we recorded live at the Iowa Bandmasters Association Convention in May of 2023. And the interaction and questions and answers with the people in the room makes this one fun, even if the audio clarity isn't up to our normal standards. Let's get to Will and Chandler. Will, I'd like to start with you. We often think of diversity in terms of racial or cultural background, but I like how the IDEA statement from the Iowa Bandmasters recognizes other types of diversity as well, socioeconomic, neurosocial, experiential. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the different ways we might consider the definition of diversity and how they might apply in our music classrooms? Yes, I can. I think one of the potential problems with what we do in many DEI initiatives is that the focus is too narrow and that we look too closely at just racial issues and gender issues, mainly because those are the easiest issues to see and address. But the problem is, is because we don't talk as much about socioeconomic diversity issues and other types of issues that we end up excluding people. And as a result, now we are seeing pushback against DEI initiatives, including legislative pushback, where public schools are being really prohibited to talk about diversity and inclusion because it may make somebody feel bad or make somebody feel like they are the oppressor. So it is extremely important that we do consider, especially with what we do, socioeconomic, that is a huge issue. And we were just talking earlier about, in my band program, when I taught high school in Asheville, that school was probably 35 to 40% minority. My band was about 15%. And as a black band director, I'm like, what's going on? You know, I want those kids in my, in my band. But socioeconomics had a, something to do with that, right? I just think those issues are, are very important. And I think that we need to approach 
this with a little bit of, of a broader scope so that we're able to rebut those that think that what we're doing is really narrow. As you answered that, I was thinking it's almost counterintuitive that we're getting all of this pushback from some lawmakers and that the idea of adding even more things might just invite more pushback. Mm -hmm. But am I understanding correctly that maybe if we include more things, we might have lawmakers who say, oh, well, that includes me or someone in my family, someone I know, that it actually will help sell this if we include more things. I think so. You know, I think about my wife teaches in a rural district in Ohio. It's primarily white, but in a pretty low socioeconomic area. There are lots of people that are struggling, you know, to make ends meet. Just like in a lot of communities, there are issues with drugs and things like that. And so when we start talking about DEI, a lot of those students don't feel like that has anything to do with them, especially when we're talking about, you know, again, race issues and gender issues or things like that, that actually they, in those communities, sometimes they're not even comfortable expressing some of those things. Chandler, I'd like to switch over to you for a moment. One common argument against these sorts of initiatives is, but who are we going to cancel? Who are we going to remove from our programming? Holst, Vaughn Williams, Persichetti? Do they just go away? How do you respond to those sorts of counter arguments? Well, see, that's a, that's a good question. You know, when we're living in a cancel culture where we are now, where we think we have to remove something in order to add something, uh, it's not necessarily the case. It just depends on what flavor you're looking for at that time. It doesn't mean that you completely negate something that may be there. It's just saying this is probably what I'm going to choose or what I'm going to have at this particular moment. And uh, what, it, what it fits like with me and my own bias is I love to use the term vibe. It depends on what I'm vibing at at that moment. So what I'm listening to in my car is based on my vibe that day. So it kind of works the same way. It's just all make it, make sure we're trying to give as much on our plate as possible for a diverse listening experience. So does it mean that you cancel holds? No. Does it mean that's all you need to play is holds? You know, you can play holds for here because there's educational value to that. It's just, okay, now we're just adding on to this. We're not removing Hall of Famers out of the Hall of Fame because we have new players. No, they're still there, and they get referenced once every while. But I don't think we have to cancel or remove anything. It's just making sure that you're doing your best to make it a learning experience for your students, making sure it's a great listening experience for those in the audience. So it's not canceling anything, it's just making sure we're getting uh, a, a, uh, a healthy diet of everything that encompasses music, which is larger than just a person or a particular work or something like that. So there is nothing that comes to mind that you would cancel or, or diminish. And I ask that because when I talk with some choral colleagues of mine, some of them are like, yep, I'm never doing Stephen Foster ever again. Do we have anything equivalent or even approaching that on the instrumental side of things? I'll be very careful with this one because ultimately it's kind of up to you programming the music and the benefit you want for your students. We can go down a rabbit hole of Granger if you really want to. But you can open that up and that'll be a can that you might not be able to close someday. But at the same time, some of the orchestrational things that he does has benefits to it. So it's kind of maybe depending on how you want to spin it. So maybe not necessarily blatantly Stephen Foster, but we have a question from the room uh, here. What about a, a classic tune uh, or something that's considered canonical literature like American River Songs, mm -hmm. which has its roots in minstrel music, but is probably on a lot of required lists around the country? 
actually love American River songs. I hate to say it. I think it's a, a, a well-orchestrated and well-arranged piece of music. I do think that this is an important issue because there are some things like the whole Henry Fillmore trombone family, done. That music is never getting played by me again. The responsibility, though, that I think we have is, can I explain to my parents why I'm still playing Granger? I think I could probably make you know, an argument for that and for American River songs. The trombone family, I can't do that. If a, a, a mother comes up to me after a concert and say, did you know that this music was written because of this? Yeah, I knew. Then why are you playing it? I don't know, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, there's tons of music out there. And if you, whatever you're playing, you can find something else like it, right? That, that doesn't um, have those same uh, associations. I have wrestled with this with the community band I direct. Don't want to program the Fillmore stuff, but at the same time, boy, the audience loves the trombone doing the glissando. Mm -hmm. So if I find a piece that was written, you know, 10 years ago, basically in that style that I know they're going to like, but at the same time, it's still kind of coming out of that tradition. So where would you weigh in on that? Like no, no Fillmore trombone smears, but no trombone smears of any sort? Yeah, see, I can't go there. And, but I understand that some people can, though. I, I always pose this uh, question to my students in a uh, band literature class that I teach. And I've had students say, we shouldn't play any of that stuff. Wagner, get rid of all of it. Um, now, for me personally, I won't do the trombone family, those marches, but I'll play American Sweet and the klaxon. So I'm, I'm playing Fillmore marches. I have other students that say, absolutely not no Fillmore whatsoever. And I'm okay with that uh, perspective. I do think that we have to make our own decisions. Again, can we defend what we believe? Um, and, you know, there's music that sounds like, you know, you know, ragtime, you know, trombone smears. Um, I, I don't have that particular association with that piece. And I don't know that that piece was written for that same reason. As, as Phil Moore's trombone family, so I'm, I'm okay. If I could challenge you both to break it down to a number, do I need to, every single concert, make sure I have at least one piece that is not written by a white male? Or if I look at my programming for the whole year, is it a percentage? How do I know if I'm doing a good enough job? <laughs> uh, this is a great question. I, was, I had an interview once where at the institution they said, we are committed to having a piece by an underrepresented composer on every concert. And I think that's a great idea. But I don't have a piece by an underrepresented composer on every single performance that I give. But I'll tell you what changes for me now. And even when I, years ago, programming for bands where we're playing mostly the music of white men, I'm still thinking about what's my programming like. I do want a diverse program of music that in those days happened to all be written by white men. Now, if, if I did that same thing, I would look at that program and say, that's not right. What else could I do that's similar to this? Or you know, that can fit in that spot that's maybe written by somebody else. And now we've got all these resources available to us where we can find those answers. So there's a line where it's just a token gesture, you know, here's my African-American concert, here's my African-American piece for this concert, I did it. And of it. course that has to be in February, right? Right, yeah. of course, right. <laughs> um, 
I did it, so you know, mission accomplished. I tell you, and we're being tongue in cheek, but like this is this is right. People do it all the time. Basically, yeah. what is happening on a widespread scale? Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I I think there's we don't want to cross that that token bridge. So I'm not prepared to say what percentage of your program should be by any type of composer. All I would say is for me, I'm going to try my best for every program that I do to present a diversified set of music, whoever those composers are. Chandler, I see you nodding. Anything you want to add to that? I'm a, I'm a seventh grade orchestra teacher, and I'm asking you, what what do I need to do to make sure I'm getting this right? How many? I agree. I think it think you know if you do your due diligence to make sure you're putting a good product out, and making sure that your students are gaining musical you know growth in it from like the actual physical nature of it, then the maturity of it, making music with it, then I think you're in the right area. But if you're going to program, you know, as a composer. Humbly, I'll say, like, if you program my music just to program it because I'm a black person, I'd rather you not. You know, just let it be something that fits what you're presenting that day. You know, and I think that's just really important. So I don't think you can put a number on it. I think you have to do your research to try to do more, sure. But find it a way that'll tie in with everything else that you're trying to achieve. So you said you don't want me to program a piece of yours just simply because I'm trying to check a box Mm -hmm. or I've, I've got one that I have programmed and it's by a black man. Let's say I did, and it was for good reasons. It fit the theme, fit educational, whatever. In front of my band, do I then bring up the fact that, okay, so we picked this because it's great music, it's going to help the percussion work on this, and it fits this theme. Oh, and by the way, most of the music we play is by white people, and this one is not. How would you prefer, or do we just not even bring that up? And maybe when the students look it up on Wikipedia, they see that's that. What they do. Be like face. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. You know, if you're going to do it, do it for each piece. So here are the pieces we're going to play, and this is the t- this is this composer. This is where from. Blah blah blah. Like you do it for everyone. Don't say, hey, we got one black guy. Mm-hmm. Y'all see him? We did it. Congratulations, everybody. Again, <laughs> like, we're being, no, being tongue-in-cheek, yeah, but like, like this no. is this is widespread practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. And so if we just simply, each composer, mm-hmm. this is what we know about this composer, this is their background, this is where they're from, and... Things that we should probably be doing in the class setting anyway. Anyway. So, so we've got a couple of questions. One of them is like, so 15 minutes ago now, and, and, then, and then the other one is maybe a little five minutes ago. So I'm going to paraphrase <laughs> a little bit, and I'll go off. Forgive me on this. Um, so we've talked a lot about... Um, like some missteps and let's make sure we don't do this, let's not do that. It feels like we're living in a time where we're, where we're in between how we used to do it um, and how we're eventually gonna do it, where we won't necessarily think about these things so much because there's been enough representation, there's been enough, enough evolution that, that, that we're there. Are you seeing some glimpses of, of places, directors, programs, or decision-making processes where you can say, Yes, about 10 years from now, everybody's going to be doing it like that person. It's, it's like, it's, it's effortless, it's smooth, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion are, are attended to without a lot of fanfare, it's happening organically and naturally, just like that. Yeah, that's what we need more of. Can you point to any individuals or approaches or processes that uh, you're seeing that reflect that? that? That's really hard for me to, to say. I mean, um, I, I know that Uh, people are trying their best and I'm not saying that anybody's not doing that it's just hard for me to say at this point I see you know from the leading wind ensembles I know that those directors are making a concerted effort to diversify their programming 
I, I don't think anybody's doing anything particularly wrong. I can't really point. I haven't followed any particular person well enough to say that they are doing it perfectly or not. That has me thinking you said the, the leading wind ensemble directors are, are doing a good job with this. They also have perfect instrumentation and students who can play grade five and grade six music. Like this stuff is so much, e it's much easier to program diversely if you're not worrying about, okay, and I gotta keep 14 percussionists busy and I have no horns and no, and so on and so on. There's no so, basis. Right, yeah. so we are, we are kind of at this point where the people who are supposed to be showing us how it's done are doing a good job of that. And then when I go to program for my sixth grade band or orchestra and I'm looking for music, it's just either not there or there's not enough of it or what's there just isn't going to work for me. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. And also one of our previous guests, I asked him about this very thing. And he said, and he knew that I was a, a composer as well and that I wrote for school bands. And he said, did you learn to do that in composition class in college? And I said, no, I never took a composition class. He said, you learned to do that by being a band director. Mm -hmm. And I said, yep. And he said, so uh, what types of students tend to join band in the first place, stay in band, go on to band in college, major in music education, and then go get, I was like, ah. Because we were talking about jazz music. And I said, how can we not in jazz of all places find more music written by black composers? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, it's, it's a pipeline issue, basically. Hmm. And it's not composition degrees. It's that the people who are writing that type of music typically come from, the, from a music ed background. And since then, I have been encouraging people that you want more diversity in your programming, in your concerts, get more diversity in your band and encourage those students to go be music teachers because that's probably where a lot of the next generation of writers are going to come from. Please weigh in on any of that own personal experience, anything you might disagree with that I said. Well, I would just say this, especially where, where school band music is concerned, when we're looking for diverse voices. I think sometimes we have expectations of what that music is gonna sound like. Like if I listen to Chandler's music, can I tell that Chandler's black because of the way his music sounds? We did work with Adrian Sims, who's another composer that writes music, a lot of music for young bands. There's nothing particularly ethnic about his music. But, you know, pieces like Come Sunday, okay, I might guess that Omar Thomas is black. You know, I can hear that influence in the music. Uh, that makes this a little bit more complicated. But I think you're right. That's why I think what we're doing is important. That all of these diversity and equity and, and inclusion initiatives, it is hopefully going to increase diversity in our programs and lead to more composers that are diverse composing and give us a better selection of, of those composers to compose. I think as we add more composers, that'll start to change. And you know, once you have more composers writing literature for grade one, grade two, then that'll start to change. But right now, it's gonna be outweighed where you have, I'm making this number up, a thousand versus like a hundred. So when you have a thousand people of one particular base, that hundred, even though they can push really hard, but it'd be like the 300 you know, Spartans, like eventually you're gonna be outnumbered. 
So I think as that number kind of changes, we encourage people then the balance naturally change because your access would be a little different. You have more to play with at the time. What if a former student reached out to you and said, so I'm trying to do some of this stuff you know, with my band, I'm trying to do a little bit better job with my, with my programming, and I've got like this group of kids, and they say, well, well, my dad says affirmative action is actually discrimination, and it should just be like the best composers should get played, and that's it. You know, what do I say to them, Dr. Talley? I think that their approach becomes really important. Again, if we we're presenting this, you know, diverse music, and we're only talking about the diverse music, like we're going to play this music by this black composer, and we're talking all you know all the details and stuff about this, but we're not talking about anything else that we're playing. Then you're inviting the opportunity for somebody to say that, and to and to feel like that, and you're going to have, especially, in some of these rural communities, there are going to be parents, there'll be students um, that feel that way. But there, there is a nuanced way for us to begin to show people the correct way, the way to see and honor other cultures. I'm not trying to tell you that music by black composers is better than any music by any other composer, but I do want you to be exposed to that. And I'm not trying to, to tell you that your folks are wrong about the way that they believe, even if I think that they are. I, I just don't think that it's our responsibility to only focus on those pieces that are diverse in a way that they can be singled out. Because again, I think that leads to this legislation that says, wait a minute, you can't do that. Uh, and then being backed up by parents and everything too. So there has to be nuance and really some level of equality or, or equity in the way that we choose and present that literature to our students too. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, but we would like to ask you each couple of lightning round questions that have nothing to do with what we've been talking about. You up for that? Yes. Yeah, okay. Good. Chandler, your favorite restaurant in the entire United States of America right now? Bird's Steakhouse in oh. Tampa. Yeah. The yeah, they do like the reverse cut of the... Uh, of the if, they'll go get the cow for you. Yeah. If you want. <laughs> but um, it's, 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 it's a great experience. And then there's a dessert room upstairs where you can go and you see these big old like barrels and it is it is a whole experience. So it's, you only get a chance to do it once a year, but our Burn Steakhouse is. Impressive whiskey collection there too. As well. think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am missing out. Yeah. It's worth it. Will, same question. Yeah, I spent 15 years of my career teaching in Asheville, North Carolina, the home of great food. Uh, and my favorite restaurant is actually uh, a restaurant that was owned, uh, that is owned by a former band parent of mine. It's called Rhubarb in downtown Asheville. It's great. The owner's John Fleer. His son was in our band. Uh, actually, we had two of his kids in our band. Um, that's not why I, I like his restaurant the best, though. The food is amazing. But shout out to John, because every time we go down, we end up with some extra desserts that we didn't order. Um, <laughs> And more so now that you are yeah. spreading the word. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So the, the free, yeah. If you're the listening, free advertising. John, I'll, I'll be down in a couple of months. So. Chandler, what have you been checking out streaming-wise recently or, or a film, anything you've enjoyed? When I have a weekend to myself and maybe the wife and kids are out of town, I binge-watch stuff. Like, I will watch a whole season of The Mandalorian. Like, I will watch all 10 episodes in a day. I might get it up. But right now I'm watching, and I'm late to the game. That's why I'm mentioning that. 
uh, it's on Netflix, but it's called Kaleidoscope. And it is a fantastic series about this bank heist. And I'm only like four episodes in, but it's based off the Kaleidoscope. Each one has a color, but you can choose which order in which you go in. So you may, the first one, you might be seven years away from the heist, and the next one, you're seven weeks away from the heist, and then you're like three months away, and you just pick and choose however you want to watch it. And it is so cool. So I'm like on Yellow. I just finished watching Yellow. And it's, you know, so stuff you just don't imagine. It's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. All right, and finally, Will, a book recommendation for us, preferably that doesn't have anything to do with music. This doesn't have anything to do with music, but it kind of does have to do with what we were talking about. I just finished a book by Nancy Eisenberg called White Trash. Uh, and in it, she talks about how, in, in a lot of ways, the poor working class whites have been pitted against minority communities, particularly the freed slaves, and how um, discrimination against that group has persisted throughout, really, into the, into the modern day. Um, and it's just, it's just really thought-provoking. I guess there are some controversial topics in there, but it does make you think about the way that we view social and socioeconomic class in the country. Will Talley, Chandler Wilson, thank you very much for joining us on Music Ed Insights. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. Reach out to us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's musicedinsights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by The Normal Design, helping normal companies and normal people create memorable, meaningful, and professional designs and branding. Learn more at thenormaldesign.com. Also, Winterset Websites, website design and maintenance, wintersetwebsites.com. Group Dynamic, a leading provider of youth leadership workshops. Allen works with dozens of schools each year to help develop their leaders. Learn more at groupdynamic.net slash youth hyphen leadership. Or you could email me at alan at groupdynamic.net. Also sponsored by the Co-College Music Education Program, they've got a website too. Just click on the link at our website or email me at shanley at coe.edu. New episodes generally drop every two weeks on Monday. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.